Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Hi, I'm Zibby Owens, the creator and host of the award-winning podcast that you're listening to right now, thank you so much, called Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. It is a daily podcast, 365 days a year, and each day we talk to an author about all of the things related to their career, their book, their life, and more in 30 minutes or less, because who has time? I am now an author myself, although I wasn't when I started this podcast, and you can get my new memoir, Bookends, a memoir of love, loss, and literature, wherever books are sold starting July 1st, and my children's book, Princess Charming. You can learn more about me at zibbyowens.com, but really, you're here to learn more about the authors, and that is what we're going to do. Also, be sure to check out all the other podcasts in the Zcast Podcast Network. You can learn more at zcastnetwork.com. Dot com and definitely check out those shows as well. Jonathan Escoffery is the author of If I Survived You, which was guest hosted by Alicia Fernandez Miranda, whose book My What If Year is our first Ivy book coming out in February. Jonathan is the author of If I Survive You, as well as the forthcoming novel Play Stone Kill Bird. He is the recipient of the 2020 Plimpton Prize for Fiction, a 2020 NEA Literature Fellowship, and the 2020 ASME Award for Fiction. He was born and raised in Miami, Florida. All right. So welcome, Jonathan, to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. We are here today to talk about If I Survived You, your absolutely incredible novel in linked stories that has just been like... I don't know. It's hard to keep track of how many awards you are getting and are nominated for and are winning. You're just like absolutely uh, slaying. So congrats and welcome to the podcast. 
Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here speaking with you. Well, I mean, I just like completely immersed myself in the book for the last couple of days. As I mentioned to you before we started this, I grew up in Miami about the same time, not super far from the same neighborhood. There is definite accuracy in a lot of that Miami experience. It's beautifully written, but it also just really made me reflect a lot on my own experiences growing up. I absolutely bought into that like melting pot of Miami theory. My family is Cuban. It was extremely diverse where I grew up. And it was much later in my life that I came to more nuanced reflections on my own experience and that of others around me. And I think you just masterfully handled that in this book. So I just absolutely loved it. I absolutely loved it. But why don't we start for those who have not had the good fortune to read it yet uh, with you telling listeners what If I Survive You is about. Yeah, this is that scary part where I have to (laughs) see if I know how to describe my book. It is about a family of Jamaicans who emigrate to the U.S. um, in the late 1970s. Specifically, they move from Kingston, Jamaica to Miami, Florida, and they move. It's a married couple named Topper and Sonia, and they move over with their infant son, Delano, and it's in Miami where their second son, uh, Trelawney, is born. And Trelawney gets the most uh, stage and page time in the book where we follow him as he's trying to figure out who he's going to be in the world as the recipient of these kind of multiple cultures in a sense, his, mm. you know, U.S. culture, his Jamaican culture, his, uh, you know, his Miami-ness in a yeah, sense. a culture of its own for sure. A culture of its <laughs> own. And then nobody uh, who's from Miami ever uh, disputes that. But he is having a, tar- a difficult time figuring out who he's going to be in the world and a difficult time fitting in even within his own family, which leads to a kind of major falling out with his father after Trelawney has moved home. Uh, from college, he's living with his father Topper. They have a big fight, and Topper winds up throwing Trelawney out of the out of the house. And for much of the book, we follow along as Trelawney is picking up odd jobs as he's trying to put a roof back over his head. He's living out of his vehicle for much of the book, and um, he's balancing jobs that are testing the boundaries of his morals, I Mm -hmm. I should say, or he's put in a lot of complicated positions where he has to decide whether to choose his own well-being or choose the well-being of others. A lot of these jobs are are kind of the vehicles for um, seeing whether he's going to choose himself or or do what he thinks might be the the right thing or the better thing. And I mean, I think you don't take the easy way out. No, no, you know, he makes different decisions at different times based on what the situation is. I think nothing is simple in in the way of life. So I absolutely, like, I totally, I totally hear that. And I definitely got that from the book. I have like a bunch of questions about your process because I thought the format was sort of perfect for the story that you told, but not necessarily like the most obvious choice if you're writing a fictional story. So um, what made you decide to write this as sort of novel in stories? I think for each of the different stories, you know, at, at certain points in the the writing of this book, it, it took a lot of years for for me to uh, eventually get this thing right, mm. uh, or as as right as I felt I could get it before <laughs> I, you know, I let it off, uh, let it out into the world, out of my hands. But through each of the stories, I, I felt like 
I needed to figure out what's the best kind of container for a given story. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, one story or a few of the stories really are told in the second person point of view. Some are told from the third person point of view. Some are first person. Some are first person kind of uh, present tense. Mm -hmm. Some are more retrospective where Trelawney's looking back on his uh, childhood and trying to figure out, you know, where things might have gone wrong with between him and his father or um, the different relationships with the his, his brother and his cousin and his family in general. And um, I, I think had I thought, well, all of these stories, this larger narrative, it all belongs in, you know, past tense, present tense, mm. second person, first person, then maybe I would have wound up publishing it as a novel. But I just felt like each of the individual stories needed their own individual narrative modes and yeah. that made me decide on 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 these being linked stories essentially That's very cool it's probably like asking you to pick a favorite child but do you have a favorite story of the bunch yeah um i i don't know you know uh sometimes every once in a while somebody will ask me to this is at, at book readings people will ask me to sign not on the title page but on my favorite story Ooh. Controversial. And, and I always freeze and I'm like, oh my God. And I, I you know, I, inevitably I, I have to choose something. And every time I sign, you know, I choose, I flip through the book and I choose a page, um, a story. And there's always this kind of like, really that one? <laughs> <laughs> They're always disappointed in my choice of, of favorite. You know, I, either the first story in Flux or the or the title story, the last story, uh, if I survive you. I'm, I'm fond of the the Trelawney stories, though. I will say, under the Aki under the Aki tree, which is told from the father's perspective, uh, Topper, uh, that's the story that kind of breaks my heart every yeah. time. So yeah. Okay, well, us and you know everybody listening to this podcast. What's oh. your favorite story? <laughs> uh, I, you know, I thought about this before putting together this question. In case you asked, oh, and I think it was pestilence, probably. Mm, I love that. I love that because I think I feel like is, pestilence is a is. A, it, sorry, why? No, you go. <laughs> but no, you tell me why you think it's my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> um, it just, it just put it like, I was there. Like I thought I was just absolutely there. The language was really beautiful. The description was so beautiful. And again, like it was a Miami story. Do you know what I mean? Like it was absolutely, you know, I could, I could feel, I could feel being there, but I like I them all. I love that. You know, it's pestilence. I, I almost took pestilence out of the collection because I wondered if it was too, too quiet or too mm. like nuanced in a way. Um, Cause we have some of the other stories where like these big uh, violent things are happening. Yeah. There's kind of, you know, there's quieter violence. I mean, there's the loud violence of the, the hurricane and pestilence um, and, and all these animals being slaughtered. <laughs> so actually maybe it's not as quiet as <laughs> I, I think, but I'm, I'm glad I'm always happy when I, when I've heard uh, that that is a standout story, because I, I just wasn't sure that it was going to get the love that I feel for. It. Yeah. Well, it has my love for sure. But they were they were all they were. I mean, they just it would be it would be really difficult to like actually pick one to cut. Did you have stories that you wrote that didn't make it in the book, but in this universe of the family? I did. The very first story that I wrote about this family got cut. And I, I think it was the right decision. But it was the story that uh, I, the, the story in which I discovered who these characters were for the very first time 
which was part of a writing sample that I was submitting for my MFA uh, applications. And it, it just, I, I became a better writer in the process of discovering these characters and, and going through grad school. And it was one of those kinds of stories that I just kept revising and revising. And I think it got progressively worse. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was like, I was just trying to save something that that shouldn't have been saved, I think. But somewhere the, I mean, the spirit of that story is is very much alive in in the book, and, and including in the the actual literal like what happens in the book is is definitely still there. Uh, but that story had to come out, and then I had a few like flash fiction pieces that that came out that I don't know they I, in a way they could have still been in the book, but I think a a lot of uh, ground that those shorter pieces were covering are are also covered in the, the longer right. stories that stayed. So that was the reason I wanted to, you know, cut, make it a very, as, as lean and powerful uh, a book as, as possible. Yeah, it's definitely tight. Well, so, I mean, I've like, read, I've done my research. I read the New York Times profile on you, but can you give our listeners like a bit of a sense of your kind of journey to writing and to this, you know, incredible book that's out now? And you know, did you always want to be a writer? And you know, we know you grew up in Miami, but that's not where you were born. So tell us, tell us your, give us your like, you know, your potted, potted history. Oh, yes. I was born in <laughs> <Wait a laughs> <the> day. <laughs> Houston, Texas. But my, my family, after they, they, they lived, they moved from uh, Jamaica to, to Houston and lived there for a short time. I did grow up in Miami. That's the town I, I know the best. And even though I've been away from Miami for 11 years, I've been moving cities uh, about every two or three years oh, wow. uh, since I left Miami. And I'm, I'm just tired of moving <laughs> at this point. It's been wonderful. It's given me lots of perspective. But Miami, the, the point being, you you don't know like the ins and outs of the city if you've only lived there two years. So yeah. Miami is still the, the place that I know. It's a place where I don't have to really throw on the, the GPS to, to get around town. But I always wanted to be a writer as a kid. I received a kind of balance of encouragement and discouragement <laughs> in terms of, you know, like being told things like you better get a job, which is true. <laughs> you know, but I found it discouraging still. Yeah. Um, and and so I'm I'm uh, I'm an all or nothing kind of person. So I would be very much focused. Like it's gonna be all my life is gonna be all about writing or I'm just not gonna write at all. And to that end of, of deciding I wasn't going to write at all. I kind of put it aside for, for a bit, but came back to it when I went to college or returned to college in my mid mid and late 20s and started taking a lot of uh, creative writing workshops. And I really wasn't sure what I was going to do with an English degree, uh, which I wasn't sure I was even going to do an English degree. Right. <laughs> I kept showing up to workshops and I kept showing up to literature classes. And that's where I was actually finding the joy in my day, in mm. a sense. And I just, you know, I, I realized after a while, like, hey, you don't have that many credits left. Like, obviously, this is what interests you, aside from any promised future paychecks. And I learned about MFA programs while I was in, a, I think it was a fiction, it was some kind of creative writing workshop. A grad student came into the class, gave a presentation on MFA programs. And I thought that was just um, really useful information because I'd never heard of programs yeah. that, especially uh, fully funded programs that might allow you to just focus on your writing while 
providing enough of a stipend, hopefully, at least theoretically, for you to live on. Right. Which is when I started doing a lot of research. And after I uh, graduated from, after I got my bachelor's in, in literature, I uh, applied to MFA programs and wound up getting into a few and wound up going to the University of Minnesota because they offered the best funding. And I was also very familiar, fairly familiar with uh, the work of the faculty and had three years in, in Minneapolis where I had to, you know, uh, again, I started to figure out how you write a story uh, in a way that, <laughs> you know, I think, I think I did. And so, yeah, I, I don't know. Like, I always wanted to be a writer, but I was also someone who definitely needed, I needed the education to write anything good. And then I, you know, I, I traveled, I bounced around a bunch. I'm, I'm in the Stegner Fellowship at uh, Stanford University. Mm -hmm. I'm also kind of still in the PhD program at the University of Southern California. So it's been a lot of years of, of workshops. Kind of, kind of still. <laughs> I am. I'm just like, I'm not physically there. <laughs> <laughs> but, I'm, so, I'm sort of I'm sort of a doctor yeah almost. I don't <laughs> yeah something something I'm all I'm all over the place I have found it useful to just like follow the funding in mm -hmm. when it comes to um creating a life in which I can write stories yeah. and you know usually that funding not always but oftentimes that funding is attached to some kind of graduate education program so yeah you can just keep going I, I think I'm hitting the end. <laughs> I, like, I don't know where else to go after after the PhD. After, whether I finish the PhD or whether I don't finish the PhD, I, I don't know. I mean, it does feel like probably you should be teaching classes now, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I and I do, but you know the the consequence of moving around the country all the time um, for years is that I no longer super interested in doing the thing that most people do when they go into academic job market, which is put out a ton of applications mm -hmm. all over the country um, to, to, you know, colleges and universities that are located all over the country. And I think I, I just, at least for the time being, I've, I've, I've used up all of my, <laughs> my moving energy. It's, it's done. And so now I'm just, I'm keeping my eye out for interesting things in California, but I, I just, I don't think I can move anymore. Fair enough. Out of state. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. California feels like home now, or at least where you want home to be. It, it does. It does. Yeah. And what is your relationship like with Miami? Do you have lots of hometown love and pride? Do you have a complex relationship with it? I think it is, um, it's one of those places when people where it, like, I, I don't know that everybody feels like, well, I guess everybody has a relationship with where they grew up, but just the city of it, not just like the home and this is my childhood part of it. I do feel like people are negotiating their relationships with Miami after they leave sometimes. And even when they're there. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'm skeptical of people who don't have a complex relationship with Miami. <laughs> people who just think it's like, like like wonderful playgrounds yeah. kind of thing. Mm -hmm. and, and usually and spent a lot of time. Right, have you been right, right. It's usually it's usually people who are not uh originally from there. Yeah. But I I have to say I was a little bit nervous about going back to Miami with the book, like once the book was actually mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. Just thinking about from 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 different angles. I mean, there's the angle of people might think I'm too critical of Miami mm -hmm. in, in my depiction of it. Some 
people from Miami might just think I, I, I got it wrong, but I've, I've honestly had uh, a really warm, wonderful reception from readers in Miami. Um, people keep writing me or, or I was just at the Miami book fair and they come up to me and they say, thank you for writing a book about the real Miami, <laughs> which, you know, it's a real Miami. I'm not saying it's the, cause there's just yeah. Miami so uh, complex with, with all the different uh, communities and cultures there. But uh, I've, I've since the book has come out, I, I've never I've never gotten so much love from Miami or in Miami <laughs> as I've been written this this book. So uh, yeah, I just need to keep writing about books in Miami I that take place it. in Miami, and, <laughs> and, and then I'll like Miami more and more because Miami might like me more and more. Uh, I, I guess, uh, but this, this is definitely a, a complicated relationship. Part of part of the the complexity of it is that. You know, the I've, I've actually I've had to be in Miami a lot over the last three months, and Miami's just such a beautiful place that you can. It's possible for you to forget mm. the the like the the problems. Yeah, <laughs> if you are in a position to just look at the beauty, or primarily look at the beautiful side of it, you can it, you can forget and 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 that. I think is a tricky thing. You can trick yourself into believing this is a, a wonderland that that yeah. doesn't have problems. And so I have to remind myself uh, that when the book fair pays for me to fly down and puts me in a beautiful hotel and, you know, I'm looking at nothing but the most beautiful parts of Miami, uh, you know, visually, like aesthetically. Right. And it's November uh, everywhere else in the country. People are freezing. <laughs> right, 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 right. The, the weather's, you know, it was, you know, it's been very nice lately. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's easy to, to believe that uh, you could go there and, and not deal with the more difficult mm-hmm. uh, situations, such as flooding (laughs) you know and 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 when you know when is our city gonna sink uh finally do you have a date do you have a a, do you want to put some money (laughs) on this right now (laughs) oh my god i'd rather not actually but no what it was it was an accurate reflection of the complexities of what is a very beautiful place and a place that gets like fetishized a lot right because it is Mm -hmm. so gorgeous a lot of people go straight from the airport to south beach and then they go back and that's kind of all they ever see so i really you know like selfishly really loved seeing you tell that story of what it's like in different parts of miami and to grow up there and obviously not from you know personal experience it is a novel but there were certainly a lot of details in there that you could only have written if you had grown up in miami everything from mount trashmore to the ubiquitous response to the kind of what are you doing question i don't know actually if zibby lets me curse on this podcast but i've never heard the answer to uh, that anywhere outside of miami when someone says i'm just eating shit bro oh. <laughs> sorry zibby you can delete that if you want she's never gonna have me back on to guest host but um <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Was it, you know, but you you did, you know, you must have had to reach back into some of those memories to kind of craft the world that you were building. Did you find that easy? Was it challenging? You know, what was that experience like for you? Ah, it was, I don't know if I'd use the word easy. I think it was kind of uh, cathartic, maybe just a little I, I think when you on on one side of the the line of reaching back into my memory, it's like I, I sometimes wonder: is this so specific to my lived experience, or is this so specific to a place like Miami? Which I mean, it definitely has a global reputation and image, mm-hmm. you know. But as you move outside of Ocean Drive and you start to uh, delve into to other um, specific elements of um, culture down there. Trying to think, will will this translate to a larger readership? And does it need to translate to a, a larger readership? And how do I get this past New York uh, publishing, mm-hmm. in a sense? And and then once I on the other side of that is, oh, but this is an opportunity for me to show something that hasn't been you know done a million times and. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's the same thing. It's like, do I have permission to do a thing because I haven't seen it done already? And then leaning into the positives of, oh, this is an opportunity to show something that might come off as quote unquote, like unique. Mm-hmm. And that's actually, it's very exciting. And also it's just as somebody who, again, is is writing pretty close to what's the term most of the vest, the chest, the sleeve, something, something <laughs> like that. I'm so horrible at these uh, sayings, but being able to, to bring that to the page. And I, I guess it's in a way it is like affirming my own lived experience in a way that's like, yes, you know, I've, I've lived this, lived a version of, and so, and so have so many other people who may not be seeing their experiences in literature. And for us, this is a wonderful thing that, you know, what, before your book deal, you don't really know if it's, <laughs> it's going to make it out there, but you're optimistic and you're like, right. when this makes it out, you know, we will be able to see ourselves. And that's an exciting thing. So let's talk a little bit about your kind of publishing process and your process to being published. Did How did that go? How did you find your editor? How did you kind of move into that pr- from having the idea on the page and then to having your fully finished book? Yeah. Um, well, the, I think another reason I went with the link story form is I, I I suspected that it would be helpful to start having some kind of um, presence in the literary world if I started putting out stories, mm. <laughs> even even from you know this singular project. I, I, again, at cer- certain points, I was thinking of it as a novel, and so I was thinking of 
these stories as excerpts rather than just single mm-hmm. stories mm-hmm. that I was going to be sending out. I wasn't sure that they all needed to be. I mean, not, not all, but all of the ones that I, I wound up sending out, I wasn't sure that I, I needed to be doing that. But it was helpful to start to test the waters of publishing just through literary journals. Yeah, I eventually wound up having the story under the Aki tree picked up by the Parish Review. And I know my my editor, Jackson Howard at FSG, I think first came across my writing through through that story and started uh, kind of paying attention to, to what I was doing. And I mean, really, like with that publication and then with uh, I think it was maybe six or seven months later, they awarded me the Plimpton Prize. And a lot of publishers started getting in touch with, um, between that publication or the award, they started mm-hmm. getting in touch with me. They started getting in touch with my agent, Renee Zuckerbrot. And it was kind of like a moment where I realized that a lot of the people that I would be wanting to query, not query, uh, submit my, mm-hmm. my, my book to, you know, when, when it was time to go out on submission, uh, I realized a lot of those people were already waiting on the book in a sense. And I think that was the great benefit of having these uh, stories to to send out into the world before, you know, had I just held on to everything and, and not like pe- people maybe would have had the same excitement mm-hmm. if they gave it the opportunity to actually read it. Right. But it's, it's a really wonderful thing when people are waiting on your project before you, you give it to them. And so yeah, I mean, we we had a kind of long list going before we we ever went on submission, and then we went out on submission in spring of 2021, and it was it was it was a really exciting book sale because we 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 had this. I met with like 20 about 20 20 publishers, publishing wow. teams, editors, and then we had a auction that was set up, and it was uh, 14 people, 14 you know, houses committed to the, to the auction. And it was just, yeah, it was a really, it was the most exciting time of my, my life for sure. But how incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. (laughs) And like very well-deserved. And was this like a, do do you feel like everything you've written kind of turns to gold or do you have like a littered pathway of rejections behind you? Like, uh, in the writing field? Yeah. It's okay, by the way, if the answer is no, because I think that's pretty awesome, but. No, 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 not everything I, <laughs> I, I mean, that, that I've said, I've probably said this elsewhere. I don't know, like that same story under the Aki tree. I, I brought it to a workshop a little bit before we sent it out. And the the workshop instructor told me to, to throw it in the garbage. <laughs> <gasps> oh my God. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I'm, Thankfully, you know, this wasn't like the first story I'd written or anything like that. I had, you know, a lot of uh, published stories before that. But I, I think that is a, an example of the road where one person thinks your story is worthy of prizes and being published in, you know, places with the, the biggest circulations. And then someone else might think it's literally garbage. <laughs> Okay, absolutely. I love that. I hope that person is listening to this podcast or having like a Julia Roberts uh, big mistake, huge moment. I mean, surely you want to go back to that person and just be like, you know, there's no huge mistake. No, no, I'm sure you're bigger than that. (laughs) Part of me, but but you know, I, I think it's more. I think it's like a learning. I mean, I think that was a terrible thing to tell any student, but Uh, but. 
but which I, I, I did tell her actually. But besides that, like I, I've had I've had those experiences where you know I I sent it, it, it where it's taken me like a really long time to to get pieces published, mm. and I think in a way it's like you I, I suspect for some of us we have to actually teach the 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 literary magazine community how to actually read our work mm-hmm. and that at times can can take a long time and so even like some editors who who actually have published me it's like the first time they came across my writing like they didn't understand what it was that I was trying to accomplish right. and then you know by maybe the fourth or fifth submission they're like oh I, I kind of get it <laughs> and then it also, it also helps that other people have been publishing you along the way and, yeah sometimes and then sometimes those stories that they rejected go on to win awards and things like that and then it's like "Hmm, maybe you know maybe I should actually like read it more closely and try to figure out what it is that I've been missing so yeah I haven't I I would say not everything I've written has turned to gold (laughs) the shorter answer (laughs) all right I, I love that so what's next for you what are you working on now and what's kind of ahead besides finishing your PhD eventually maybe or maybe not yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Working on a, a, a novel that, that is set in Miami. Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know what else I could say about it. Uh, the thing is like any, anything I could say right now might, might change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but I, it's I early, early, early-ish days. It's early-ish days. Okay. Yeah. 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 So yeah, you know, t- promoting a book takes a lot of and and the better a book does, like the more time you have to spend promoting it. And so I'm just sneaking time with the uh, the novel that I'm working on, which, you know, I'm, I'm writing a lot uh, on my phone and then copying and pasting that into oh, work. Okay. Um, yeah, that's fast <laughs> yeah, if you can do that, that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like more out of necessity, mm-hmm. I think. You know, like now the idea is coming to me and I just don't know that I'm going to actually sit down in front of the computer and take the time to, yeah. to remember it. So I'm trying to to do that. And I don't know, there's something that's kind of fun about it because because this way I'm not having to actually face the blank page. Right. I'm, I actually have like the, the writing and the ideas. And even when it's bad, it's like I always say like bad writing is a gift because now you can make it better, it's but terrible. that blank space is just terrifying. And so this is, yeah, this is the process I have going on right now. Well, that's awesome. And I know I'm not the only person who will be eagerly anticipating your next project. And thank you for sharing some of your stolen moments with us on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. We always finish with uh, what your advice would be to aspiring writers who are listening to this. Yeah, trust the process, I think. Even though I can be like salty and bitter about people who didn't pick up certain stories that I, I submitted, um, sometimes you know you look back and it's like, oh, I'm so grateful no one picked up you know that story and that I had to work towards making stories that were undeniable, which only made me a better writer, which has led to better outcomes in my writing life, and you know, uh, learn to understand what um, it is that you're trying to accomplish on the page. I think that could be a really helpful thing to you so that you understand 
And, and, and one way you learn that is by reading people whose work appears to be in conversation with your own. That way, when you meet the workshop leader who says, you know, you can't do this in writing and you'll say, well, of course I can, because I have 10 books in which writers are striving to do the same thing. And that will give you the confidence to just know when to move forward with your uh, your super awesome stories th- that, that not everyone's going to get. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much, Jonathan, for your time today. So thank you for having me. It's been a joy. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Go and outro music. 